We all love to hear dramatic testimonies of people converted to Christ and their lives transformed. One of the most memorable I have heard was that of a friend in Malawi. His name is Mike. Mike has now been a church pastor for many years in his Pentecostal denomination. I first met Mike during our church leader training programme, Learn to Serve, in the town of Malangi, where he serves as a pastor. And we've kept journeying with him over several years. But it wasn't always like that for him. When he was 17, he was convicted of armed robbery in Malawi and sent to prison for three years. One year into his sentence, he awoke at night, hearing a voice saying over and over again, if you were to die tonight, what would happen to you? Go and talk to someone. Mike obeyed. He sought out someone in the prison who was a Christian who told him, that's the voice of Jesus. He's coming after you. Mike gave his life to Christ that day. He spent the remaining two years of his sentence in prison as a believer, reading the Bible, learning, praying and being transformed within. For Mike, everything changed that day when Jesus came along. His relationships with other people, his usefulness in society and his spiritual life, his relationship to Christ and his eternal destiny. After his release from prison, he became part of a new community, the church, no longer finding his identity as a gang member. Mike had been in despair, languishing in an overcrowded jail. He'd not been looking for Jesus Christ. In fact, he was blind to the things of God. But Jesus had seen Mike. Such is the change that happens when Jesus comes along. Mike's experience was, in many ways, similar to that of the man born blind in John chapter 9. And this is the next of the signs that we're going to look at today. Just as for Mike on that day when Jesus came along, everything changed for that man born blind, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And what a testimony he gained to the power of Jesus Christ to transform a life. You see, for a poor family in Israel in the first century, to have a child born blind would be a catastrophe, leaving them hanging on the edge of survival. As the child grew into a man, he'd become a significant economic burden, a mouth for his parents to feed, yet he couldn't go out to work. So of necessity, he'd need to become a beggar in the street. And we read that in verse 8. I've seen that in Malawi as well. Those with physical disabilities sent out to beg in the street or at traffic lights where the cars come to a stop. It's the only way they might contribute positively to the family finances. This man born blind was someone made in the image of God. 
yet he would have grown up with so little sense of self-worth and value. At best he'd have been receiving people's pity. More likely he'd have become invisible to those who passed by. Their eyes would, in effect, have become every bit as blind to him as his eyes were to them. But as verse 1 tells us, this man was not invisible to God. At one level, this encounter between Jesus and the afflicted man is, is quite simple. Verse 1 simply says, as he went along, he, that's Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. As he went along, we don't even know where this event took place. As he went along, Jesus saw him. Jesus healed him and the man came to believe in Jesus. But at another level, this narrative is far from simple. The healing by Jesus triggers a whole cascade of controversy that ripples through the whole community. The neighbours, his parents, the Pharisees. There are a lot of people and quite a commotion that arise just from this brief encounter with Jesus. So what does the Gospel writer John intend us to learn from this? Well first I'm going to look at this issue of disability raised by the disciples in the first five verses before returning to the main message of the passage at the end. So first, why was this child born blind. Verses 1 to 5. While I must emphasise this is not the main reason why this encounter is included in John's Gospel, it is an important question that we all may find ourselves asking at some stage in our lives. Why was this child born blind? Why did this blindness happen? In verse 2 the disciples ask this question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words what they're asking Jesus is what caused this man to be born blind? It's a question that may tax anyone who experiences such a profound personal tragedy. In our own community, yes even within our own church family, so I will try to handle it sensitively, seeking simply to get at what the Bible seems to be saying here in John chapter 9. The rather blunt way that the disciples asked the question. Well, that is simply reflecting a widely held view in those days in Israel that disastrous suffering, such as being born blind, came as a direct consequence of the sin of a particular individual. The disciples were asking, is this blindness a punishment for the parent's sin? Or is it a punishment for the man's own sin, even before he was born? In other words, was it caused by some kind of inherited sinfulness in the womb? Now let's be honest, at this particular point, 
as they were walking past this poor man, it was probably not the most kind or compassionate thing for the disciples to say. They were behaving more like Job's wretched comforters, looking for someone to blame. Pastorally, they blew it. But we've all said silly things at, at different times. Nonetheless, Jesus quickly tackles their question head on. At least at the start of verse 3, he strongly refutes both options. Jesus is, is saying very clearly, specific suffering is ordinarily not a direct consequence of specific sin. And certainly that's not the case for congenital suffering like this. Now, that's not in any way for us to deny that we live in a, a broken, sinful world. We do. Suffering and brokenness first came into the world because of sin. That's clear from Genesis chapter 3. And all of humanity and all of creation is groaning under the destructive consequences of sin. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. But I wonder, are we sometimes a bit more like the disciples than we are like Jesus? Asking insensitive questions, talking about people with disabilities as we simply pass them by. In contrast, Jesus sets out for us in this story a beautiful threefold pastoral model. First, don't lay the blame on someone who is suffering or on their family. Secondly, do make a move, a move towards a person in need and not away from them. And third, do offer whatever help you can, materially, emotionally or spiritually, just as Jesus did with the blind man. But what about the second part of three leading into verse four? These verses seem far more challenging to understand and maybe even to accept. Here, the original text of John's Gospel potentially can be translated two different ways. So bear with me for a moment. The traditional translation is how the NIV puts it and the ESV translates simile. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In this way of translating, Jesus is telling them the purpose of the suffering in God's plan. He says, but this happened for this reason. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, if this is the intention of the gospel writer, Jesus is telling them to look for reasons for the blindness in God's future plans. 
the purpose of the blindness was for his glory to be seen through the man's healing. Now, now that's a tough one. So I'm trying not to dodge it. This rightly affirms God's sovereignty and total control over everything. Without that, then, he wouldn't be God, the creator and sustainer of all things. And the Bible teaches that God takes responsibility for exactly how each one of us is made, what we're like. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, God is saying to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And in Psalm 139, verse 13, the psalmist speaking to God says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. He's saying, I don't make mistakes. But this understanding of verse 3 can leave us with some uncomfortable questions. Does this mean the man's blindness was really some part of a divine master plan? Did God actually afflict this man with blindness for the first half of his life just so he could then heal him later in life and receive the glory? Well, I do think that's taking it too far. Our God is a God of love who promises good and not harm. Sometimes we will see God's glory in his healing power, in the complete and miraculous relief from suffering or disability. But perhaps more often, though, his glory is displayed in his sustaining power, upholding us through the suffering. We can think of people even within our fellowship who have have modelled this so beautifully to us. God's glory displayed in them through suffering. And Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, he writes about the thorn in the flesh that he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's healing power and his sustaining power, they both equally give opportunities for us to display God's glory in our lives. But what about the second possible translation of the original text in verse 3? Not so many Bible translations go for this, but it is perfectly possible from exactly the same words in the original Greek. We can translate these words in verse 3 as an instruction for us to follow with verse 3 then linking straight into verse 4. Jesus' words then become, neither this man nor his parents sinned, 
but let the works of God be displayed in him. For as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Rather than this verse giving a reason for the suffering, it becomes an exhortation to do something about it. And notice Jesus didn't say, I must do the work of my father, but we must do the work together, his disciples and him together. And this then rolls down to us as an instruction today for us to do too, to proclaim the good news of salvation to the world with boldness and to reflect his tender compassion to the poor, the downtrodden and the suffering. These are the ways that we should declare the mighty works of God. And look at verses four to five. That says there is an urgency to Christ's call to action. As long as it is day, says Jesus, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He says, we must do this work while it is still spiritually daytime, while we still have opportunity. For Jesus, his time of ministry would soon end and transition into his time of crucifixion, death and then resurrection. For us, our years on earth to serve him are indeed limited. And for the church, the years when we may be free to speak of Jesus and to teach from the Bible, those years may run out. In Malawi, our partners there use this verse to express the urgent need to train church leaders so that the church can be built up in Malawi, prepared, while there is still freedom to do that. And that's indeed the core training ministry of the Caruso Trust, working with church leaders across the country. The influence of Islam and other faiths is growing in Malawi year by year. Mosques are being planted and built all along the rural roads and Western secular ideas are taking root mainly in the cities. One day Malawi may enter the spiritual night when no one can work and we cannot publicly display the glory of Christ. As is already happening in many formerly open countries of the world. I wonder, will we then look back on the opportunities in Malawi and even in our own country and ask ourselves, how did we use all those past years of freedom to teach the gospel. So that's the first point. Why was this child born blind from verses one to five? But then we'll just continue. How did this man come to see, secondly, in verses six through to 41? How did this man come to see? Jesus was not just giving physical sight to this man born blind. He was leading him on a journey of total liberation, body, mind and spirit. 
Jesus's messianic mission that's described throughout John's gospel was to lead people to salvation and freedom. And this is the work that we are all privileged to share in while it is still day, bringing freedom and sight to the spiritually blind. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, we are in a spiritual battle. He wrote, the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So what was this journey to freedom for the man born blind? Well, first, obedience to Jesus brought for him physical sight. First, as mentioned earlier, Jesus took the initiative. He came to him and healed him out of his physical blindness. Jesus then curiously mixed saliva and mud and rubbed it into his eyes in verse 6. Perhaps that was a symbol of creating new sight and new life. Just as God created people in his image out of the dust of the earth in Genesis. Jesus then sent him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The man had a choice to obey Jesus or not to obey Jesus. He obeyed and his obedience led to the restoration of his physical sight. But secondly, his faith in Jesus brought him spiritual sight. You can see how the man's relationship with Jesus continued to grow through the chapter. In verse 11, the man merely knows his name, nothing more. He calls him the man they call Jesus. Then in verse 17, he declares Jesus to be a prophet. Well, a prophet is somebody, a person who faithfully declares truth from God. By verses 31 to 33, he's saying that Jesus is someone sent from God. And he's quite right in saying that no one has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. You see, nowhere in the Old Testament is such a miracle recorded. This man is coming to understand that Jesus is unique. And finally, in verses 36 to 38, the man asks to know Jesus personally. He believes Jesus is the Son of Man and he worships him as Saviour. The Pharisees had by this time thrown the man out of the synagogue in verse 34. But Jesus welcomed him into the freedom of his new community of faith. What liberation Jesus brought to that man's life. Freedom from the handicap of blindness. Freedom from the indignity of begging. Freedom from that feeling of having no value. And most of all, freedom from eternal sin and condemnation. What a powerful testimony that man had to freedom in Christ. And Jesus is the only way to freedom for us today, too. As Jesus said, 
to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So I appeal to you, ask Jesus to come over to you. Ask him to open your blind eyes to see him for who he really is. And ask him to make your life display his glory to this lost world that we live in. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they, that you, may have life and have it to the full. Will you receive this wonderful gift of sight from Jesus?